Neve Sessions with AMS Neve. Today we are welcoming British drummer Ash Sohn onto the podcast who has worked with Adele, Celine Dion, Cher, Seal, Robbie Williams, Enrique Iglesias and many, many more. Welcome Ash, how are you today? I'm all right, thank you Alice. Yeah, thanks so much for asking me to do this. Oh, you're so welcome and obviously this is um, a podcast so no one can see the fabulous space that you're in but perhaps you could describe it a little bit so that people could imagine this wooden, I don't know, structure that looks completely fantastic yeah. they're in at the moment yeah so um there was where, where i live in norfolk that there originally was a windmill here um and when we moved in there was just the the sort of brick buttresses that would have held up the the sort of main wooden structure yeah. uh and you know we we sort of bought this place because there's some outbuildings near my house and that was initially we were thinking of that being a potential studio for the future and it just so happened that somebody that we knew specialised in green builds and they said, um, well, what about the the mill, you know, which was at the time was just a kind of shell of itself. It was like just, the, like I say, just the four brick buttresses that that remained. A lot of the bricks had gone um, from the villages back in apparently the war. There, there was a shortage of bricks and the villagers used to come up here and just take bricks from the, the old mill. Um <laughs> And I says, well, well, there's not much left of it. What can you do? You know, and he basically was telling me that we could build, rebuild the walls uh, with straw bales, and then add a, a similar sort of roof that it, the the base of the windmill would have had, uh, with sort of cedar shingle um, roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of wood. There's it's really warm in here, um, sound wise uh, and physically, because the walls are really thick. You know, the straw bales, um, and it's a the roof's really insulated and the, and the, and the floor is insulated too. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a lovely sort of uh, space to, to work in, if I'm honest, you know, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, it looks ideal. looks lovely. Nice part of the world you're yeah. in too there. Norfolk's mega. Um, and, and it's really quiet here. So I can, I can play, uh, you know, like I've done stuff for, for people in Los Angeles and I've been playing drums at sort of two o'clock in the morning and there's, there's some sheep in the, the next field and that's about it really that I'll annoy. Tough um, crowd. Yeah, well, luckily they can't write to the local council. Um, so <laughs> No noise complaints for you, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. So what are you up to today or at the way, at the moment? What's the typical day in so, the life of uh, Ash Sohn at the moment? Well, at the moment, I'm working on a couple of albums. As a, uh, a great artist, I'm working for uh, a Canadian um, singer, um, guitar player called Ariel Posen, um, and I'm sort of in the midst of his uh, his next record. Um, so that's you know that's remote. So that he he will be about another hour's time. He'll be sort of in the land of the living, uh, and then we'll start communicating on the on the next song, hopefully. Um, I'm also working with a with a Chinese artist on the new record and a Korean artist as well. Um, so yeah, there's lots of remotes. That, I mean, remote recording is essentially now all, all, all I end up doing. Really, it's it's brilliant. Okay. I love it. Well, that's great, and I suppose um, you must have been able to work throughout the whole um, pandemic. Then, if you've been able to do it all from um, this, these yeah. remote, remote sessions. I, I lucked out. Really, I, I was I played on the Voice for about seven years and. A year before the pandemic, I uh, pretty much decided to leave the voice and work, kind of concentrate on the studio because I'd started to get some work through the door that was 
that's pretty substantial. And, I, and, and it was like a decision time. Do I just still do it part time? And, you know, when, when something cool comes in or do I actually make a, you know, a, a decision to properly dedicate some time to the studio. And I decided to do that. Um, uh, so I left the voice. A few people thought I was absolutely bonkers doing that because it was pretty good money and pretty regular. And, uh, and I was sort of jumping into the unknown a little bit with the studio. Um, but it, it worked out well. I, did, I started to get some pretty good projects and then the pandemic hit. And then you, you're right. Um, there's lots of people that I work with that wanted to carry on working um, under the circumstances that we're all in and, and, and therefore my studio all of a sudden became pretty pretty popular that 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 year actually oh thank god for that yeah that's what i said <laughs> Could have nightmare. um so when you take it back to i guess it was when you were a child then when did you first take an interest in drumming were you that kid always drumming on the table asking for a drum kit for christmas etc yeah it absolutely almost spot on <laughs> all of that all of that stuff i, I was uh my dad played me a record uh, called Let There Be Drums by Sandy Nelson. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like a sort of surf record, actually, it, it, like just kind of tom-toms and, and distorted electric guitar. And, um, yeah, I basically, I'd never heard the sound just just got me, like the, the sound of the drums. I just wanted to do that. And, and I pretty much... Um, made my mind up. That's what I want to do. That, uh, which seems now ridiculous mm. that a ten-year-old can just decide that that's what they want to do, and then they end up doing it. <laughs> I'm I'm 52 this year, and I've not stopped playing the drums, and it's and it's been a fantastic journey, you know. So shortly after that, like that, I was 10. I stuck at it, and um, my parents bought me a drum kit when I was 11 that following uh Christmas uh yeah and then the journey started look at you now really yeah and um I've seen so you got your first big break as a drummer of course in uh, 94 with Delamitri so that must have been cool uh-huh. what were your memories of that time and getting into the scene officially then yeah well so I'd, I'd studied music in Manchester in 1989 uh and it was either after the college course that was a that was the first popular music course actually in the country. There was Leeds that did jazz and still does, of course, and Salford that did a pop music course with recording, um, and it was the only one of its kind. Now, of course, they're they're everywhere, and there's private colleges doing it all. So it, it made it made a lot of sense to do that course. So I did that, but and afterwards it was either okay, stay in Manchester, which even though it's a pretty big city, Manchester, it's got a relatively small scene. Um, and I just thought, well, I, I could see the drummers that were around that were doing a lot of the work. And I thought they've either got to be ill or die before you really get a look in on them because it's so, it's so closed, you know? So the obvious uh, direction was to move to London, which I did when I was 21 1991, I moved to London. Uh, I moved to South East London. So I lived in a little uh, part of town near Greenwich called Blackheath. Um, and I was very, very fortunate 
to move into the same road as Pino Palladino, the, the bass player. Um, I was walking back from a shop one day with a pint of milk and this guy came out of his house uh, with a bass on his back. And I thought, this is great. There's a, there's a musician in my street. I'd only just moved there. I've been there about four months, I think. Um, and I just thought, oh, this is going to be great. He might be able to help me out with some pub gigs and stuff. And then I, as he walked to his car, which is a nice brand new seven series BMW, I, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. I thought, well, he's either like an accountant that wants to play a bit of bass or he's a serious bass player. Um, and I, he, I must have been gawping at him because he, he started smiling. And, I, and then and then I realised it's it's Pino Palladino. And um, I said, Mr. Palladino. And he said, yep came over, shook my hand, and then that started a friendship which still is still going. And it's been it's been 30, it's 30 years actually this year um that I've known him. And uh it was about probably about four years actually, three or four years after I met Pino that it was actually Pino that put me out for Delamitri. So I did a lot of clubs, I did a lot of pubs and working men clubs and stuff in London. Um, and I got to the stage where I just got a gig with Tom Robinson, 2468 Motorway Tom Robinson. And I started doing some shows with him and we were booked to do Glastonbury. And it was like the most exciting time of my life. And Pino had left a message on the answer machine saying there's a band, that, a Scottish band that his friend manages that are looking for a drummer to go on the road. Would I like to audition? And uh you know, I was so green. I, I, I said to Tom, oh, I've got an audition for Delamitri thinking, not even thinking of the implications. If I get the job, then I won't be able to do his gig. Yeah. Uh, but Tom was such a sweetheart. So I, 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 I actually flew up, they, they flew me up to Glasgow um, and I got picked up by a, a sort of short, hairy roadie took me to the, to the rehearsal studio. And, uh, that short hairy roadie still still works for him actually, <laughs> um, but he uh, there was a drummer already in aud- auditioning and that and that was I said who's that they sounded brilliant uh, and he said oh it's Chris Whitten now Chris at that time I think had just finished being on the road with um, Dire Straits and he'd left he'd toured with McCartney for like six seven years. Then he joined Dire Straits and he was just sort of in a low period it work-wise, I think. And he kind of went up and auditioned for Delamitri just to see what it was like. And, and I thought, well, I've got, I've got no chance, you know, a, a, a guy of that amount of experience. I will, I will never get this gig, you know, again, sort of slightly naive now knowing as I was 24 then, um, knowing now that of course there's lots of different circumstances with gigs uh, i.e. that I was a tenth of the price of Chris Whitten at the time. <laughs> uh, he probably didn't want to tour America for three months and on a tour bus um, and go back in some respects as far as the sort of standard of touring that he was used to with McCartney and uh, Dire Straits. All of a sudden, it'd be like literally getting in a, a transit van as regarding Delamitri. Although, you know, they were at the time, it was a pretty successful time for them. Very different to touring with uh, Dire Straits or, or um, Paul McCartney. But I decided in my mind when I heard him playing that, oh, it was his job. He'd got the gig. Uh, 
and I went, I did, did still go in and play with the guys. But what was interesting, I'd already made my mind up that it wasn't going to be my gig because Chris was so fantastic um, that I was just relaxed. I just thought, well, I'm just going to play and have some fun and just chalk it up to experience and remember for the next time, you know, uh, like build it. I, I, I say to younger drummers, each experience like that, I used to consider like a, a sort of building block Um and eventually you get this good solid foundation and, and hopefully you're a you're a experienced uh worldly wise musician um and i just thought well you know i'll, I'll just stick it use it as one of my building blocks for my thing um and i went in and had some fun and i had a really good time and, and i stayed that night and we went and had a beer and hung out for a bit and i flew back uh and then on the i think it was on the early part of the following week, the manager called me and offered me the job. Uh, and they said, we want you right now. We, we want to go uh, to Los Angeles next week um, to rehearse because the, the, the band are doing Woodstock 94. And I was like, I've got to do Glastonbury with Tom Robinson. And the, the manager just said, do you want the job or not? And it's like, uh, oh, it was such an awful predicament. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I and I called Tom, and to this day, like, what a fantastic, great bloke, and and a wonderful sort of worldly wise person and musician. And he just said, you know, he realised that it was a great opportunity for me, and uh, he said, we'll just do Glastonbury without drums. It's cool, Ash. Wow. And he did wow. it and he did it acoustically and I felt amazing. And, you know, we've kept in contact um, since. Uh, and, and then I put a drummer up, a friend of mine, I put up for the job and it all worked out really great. And, I, and off I went to Los Angeles. Um, yeah. So that was my first break. And then I toured with Delamitri for about two and a half years, did an album with him. Uh, and then I just kind of had a moment and I, and I, I wanted to sort of keep moving, if you know what I mean, career-wise and just having that feeling of forward motion for myself as a musician. And I and I left the band uh, not knowing what I was going to do next. There's was, there was uh, another reason which kind of does, is neither here nor there. The, the album that I did, I, I kind of fell out with the management regarding my deal uh, and that was the sort of moment where I thought, you know what, I'm just going to move on. Mm. Uh, and I was 27 and uh, and I thought, okay, I'll just, it's going to be fine. Um, and I phoned up an agent at, at the time that I knew. And he, I, it's just pure luck. He said, um, I'm sorry to be not in Delamitri. He said, but what are you doing Friday? And I was like, nothing. He said, there's a band called Faithless. And he goes, I'm sending like 10 guys down to audition. They need a drummer. And I said, I'd never, I, I don't know who they are um, because I'd spent a lot of time in America with Delamitri. Uh, Faithless had, uh, had sort of just kicked off in Europe. So they were, you know, um, they'd had a hit in Europe, in fact, with uh, Insomnia. Um, and I was blissfully unaware. I had no idea about the music or the song or them or anything because I'd been out in America, you know, sort of... Uh, playing all the clubs and stuff with, with the Dells. Um, so I went down, uh, 
just literally like a couple of days later um and i approached the gig my audition i think a lot of the guys this is another thing that i learned and i and i sort of pass on to young drummers uh, i think nearly every drummer that auditioned i'm pretty sure um had listened to the music and it of course it was sort of programmed drums so they played the drums in a in a very programmed way uh I had come from a sort of rock and roll background, you know, I've been out, I've been out with Delamitri and it's like, it's proper like loud guitars. And, and uh, I was really into Hendrix and Mitch Mitchell. And I approached my audition with a sort of uh, Mitch Mitchell kind of approach to it. So the drum fills, I did them sort of very flamboyant sort of rolly sort of drum fills to make it exciting and Maxi, the, the, the rapper, singer, uh, Maxi Jazz, the more I did these transitional fills into different sections, the more he was loving it. Um, and I got the gig, um, basically on the fact that I think that I approached it a little differently to everybody else. Um, I think as simple as that, really. And then I toured with Faithless for about a year, and then I left them because I got offered the gig with squeeze and it was an album and uh it was at least like three years solid work mm-hmm. um it was an album and a tour of America and and very exciting and and sort of back to my roots really back to songwriter songwriter music uh but I love my time with Faithless and um it again I, I've actually put the same drummer up that I put up for Tom Robinson and put him up for Faithless when when I left faithless um and i joined squeeze for a while and then i started working with marianne faithful at the same time um and then some sessions had already sort of started um yeah that's that's the kind of crux of the beginning of 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 it all really for me i know but look what you went on to do and i know as well you're the main part of your career has been with the recording industry as you as you've said so as a session drummer yeah. so you've worked from i've seen the list there are so many everyone from Cher to adele um and um have you seen i think adele's up to something isn't she have you seen all those 30s popping up ev- around everywhere right i i don't know um i did a record recently uh that she was hopefully going to guest on i think she will um but yeah she she that was a great experience that was with Fraser T Smith um and you know I it, which it, album lot, did again, you work on Ash I worked on 21 oh fantastic yeah I played on uh, just on one song I played on the the track that Fraser wrote with a, a called Set Fire to the Rain mm-hmm. um and of course she was quite famous at the time, but not as famous as obviously that she became with that record. Um, and with Fraser, you know, I, like I say, a lot of young drummers would say to me, Oh, I want to get into the recording. I want to, you know, I want to be a session drummer. And it's like, it's, you know, life just has a way of kind of um, dealing it, the cards to you, you know, and it's like, I I actually really did enjoy the studio and and I and I loved the process of recording with Squeeze and with Delamitri and and with the, some of the other bands that I started working with and then you know I 
I started working with Trevor Horn and Fraser and, and Mark Taylor from Metrophonic and all, all sorts of producers, Steve Lipson. And um, I loved the process, you know, um, of making a part work and, and trying to find the thing that the artist and, and or producer are, are looking for. Um, and, you know, I just really love that environment. Some people don't like it. They don't like the pressure of it. Um, I actually really love the studio so much so that I've, <laughs> I've built this place and I, and I love it experimenting now from the other side of, of the fence, as it were, with the, with sounds and with microphones and the, the, all that experience has been a relatively new new thing for me. It's been like 10 years I've had this studio now. But with Fraser, it would always, with a lot of producers actually, um, it would be, you know, oh, what are you doing on Thursday? Uh, nothing. Okay, great. I've got a session for you. Come down, you know, six o'clock, whatever. So, I, and this was, I think I'd done a couple of things with Fraser. I'd basically played on a James Morrison, Nelly Furtado song called uh, Broken Strings. Great produced song, yeah. By, yeah. Produced by uh, Mark Taylor, but written by Fraser. Uh, and actually, do you want to hear the long story or the short one? Whichever one you want to tell. <laughs> it's, 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 that's how long you got. And if it's, uh, I, I think it's it's sort of interesting. So again, when when younger musicians say to me, "Oh, you know, bloody, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to work with old kind of old musicians. I want, you know, everybody wants to be working with top ten acts." You know, um, so the long story is, I played on uh, Broken Strings. That was in the bag. It was written by Fraser. I didn't know him at that point. It was produced by another producer uh, that, I, that I've worked with, with Cher, Mark Taylor. Uh, uh, I've done, we've done five James Morrison records actually now together. Um, and a friend of mine said, uh, he played bass with Rick Wakeman and he said, Rick's ba- uh, drummer's broken his arm can you do the gigs? And I'm like, blimey. Uh, okay. Uh, he said, but listen, listen to the music before you say yes. <laughs> Cause Rick, you know, Rick's music is, uh, it's what well, seven is prog, you know, mm-hmm. and it's very far, far removed from Adele or squeeze or anything like that. You know, the first, I think the first track that I learned was 20 minutes long, <laughs> um, uh, called journey to the center of the earth. Anyway, the drummer had unfortunately broken his arm. Uh, Tony Fernandez, his name is. Uh, and an even weirder story is I actually only shower. Um, he had a brass shower that my wife bought off his wife off eBay, <laughs> which is a weird <laughs> sort of synchronicity that I don't no idea. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, brushed his arm. I said to the to, to Lee, the bass player who now plays with ELO. I said. Um, where are the gigs? And he went, well, this is the good bit. He said, uh, it's Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, Mexico City supporting Asia, Havana, and Leicester. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> wow, that's a run of gigs. Uh, anyway, I ended up doing that. It was amazing. And the it was a massive challenge for me to play that sort of music. Um because you, you can't write it out. You just haven't got enough music stands. <laughs> You've got to learn. Mm. 
you've got to learn the, the arrangements. And, and, I, and I, I, I kind of, at the time, I was ready to dive into something like that. And I, and I really relished the kind of um, the thought of doing it. And it was, and I met Rick actually in Cuba. We and I, I'd learned the stuff, and and we we did a sound check, and that was my first time that I played with Rick. And um, he then pronounced, "Oh, we're doing a DVD." tonight like my first show with Wakeman um which you can you can see on uh YouTube it's uh Rick Wakeman live in Cuba um but Rick's tech was a guy uh that they called Doom and I said why'd they call him Doom and he said he's the sort of fella if he won the lottery he'd be mildly put out um and he wasn't like that. I, I found him a really lovely, light-hearted bloke. Uh, Stuart Sawney, his name is um, Doom. If you work for uh, if you work for Rick, and he kept on saying to me, "You should meet my mate Fraser." And I was like, oh, that, "That name rings a bell." He said, "Yeah, yeah." He said he, he works with James Morrison. He's he's a producer. Blah 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 blah. He kept on saying to me. You know, I think you two would get on. It'd be great, blah, blah, blah. Um, and eventually, I got a phone call from Fraser saying, I've got your your number from Doom. Uh, I, I need you to do a session. So what I say to, to younger drummers, that was the long version. I'm sorry. Thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> I was still with um, you. <laughs> I essentially got to play on one of the biggest records ever, because of a keyboard tech with Rick Wakeman. That was, that was, there's a definite connection between Stuart Doom and, uh, and Fraser T. Smith. Um, and if you think about, you know, if you think about uh, career, the chances of, of getting a line, you know, some sort of connection between, you know, journey to the center of the earth to set fire to the rain, it's, it's almost, impossible to connect that but there is a connection and i feel that there's a lot of connections with all sorts of music and people and and you've just got to be open to that um and try and you know as, as a musician a an ambitious musician try and be open to the fact that whatever you're doing do it as well as you can because you just never know um and i went down i did a couple of sessions with fraser and then he said to me this one this one friday or thursday what you do and I walked in he had a drum kit at his studio at the time in in farm lane in Fulham I uh, walked through the door and Adele was sat on a chair looking at a phone um and I was like okay wow it's her okay uh I recognized her from 19 um her album 19 mm -hmm. uh and uh, Fraser just introduced me he said, hey Adele this is Ash he's going to play drums on the on the track um, and she said to me, uh, uh, who'd you play for? And at the time I was working with Will Young mainly, um, as well as Frick Wakeman. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I said, oh, I play for Will Young. And then I thought, oh God, this, this could be a disaster. She could hate Will Young. Um, and then straight away I'm off. There's, you know, you're on a, you're on a bad, mm. you, you know, you put your bad foot forward as it were. Uh, and, but luckily for me, she said, Oh my God, you might have to beat this out, Alice. Um, she goes, 
I fucking love Will Young. And she said, I was at, I was at, um, she went to the Brit school, you know? Yeah. Um, and when she was at the Brit school, this is how young she is. Will was on the TV show called Pop Idol. And one of the girls at Brit school said, he's not going to win it. And she told me the story. She said, she told me he's not going to win it. So she said, so I lamped her. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she, she punched this girl that said that Will Young wasn't going to win Pop Idol. And she gets expelled for like three months. And she's telling me the story as I just, as I'm walking through the door. Um, and I thought, and that was the sort of, you know, the cut of her jib as it were. Uh, and I thought this, this woman's an interesting, interesting person. Um, and we cracked on with the session. It was a great song. It is a great song. Um, and I think at the time, I think we all knew that it was really, it was a special tune, you know, mm. Uh, and then there's a, she was very much involved in the whole process of it, uh, of my, my involvement. Uh, and I'm sure she was with Fraser too. Um, well, the fact that she was there, you know, there's, there's, a, there's an artist that I've done lots of albums with her and I've never actually seen him at a session. <laughs> I've done five albums with mm. this person and I've never seen them. I've only done one track with Adele and she was there. Um, it sort of kind of says it all really. Anyway, um, she then was very, very much involved in the whole process. She came up with a part that I played uh, and that was that. And off she goes. Um, and I said to Fraser, we'd finished and I, I got my cymbals down and everything. Um, and we were having a beer. And I jokingly said, see you at the Grammys. Ha, 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 ha. Mm -hmm. You know? And about six months later, he called me and he said, do you want to come to the Grammys? I was like, oh, my God. He went, yeah, she's up for six. I was like, incredible. You know, so that was that. Um, and I did indeed go out to the Grammys um, with Fraser and watched her lift the six. Uh, I had, it was one of the sort of greatest sort of musical uh, weeks of my life, really. Uh, the Grammys were at the weekend. The following weekend, I had a gig with uh, Sinead O'Connor at the El Rey Theatre in, in Los Angeles. And I was out there and I got a phone call from Trevor Horn saying, can I do a session on Wednesday or whatever it was, Thursday? And I said, I, I can't, Trevor, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. And of course, he said, let's do it there. <laughs> okay. so, so I ended up uh, at the Grammys at the weekend on the Wednesday and the Thursday or whatever, I went up to Trevor's house in Bel Air at his studio and recorded with Birdie actually and Seal. And then I came back into LA uh, to do the gig with um, Sinead on the Friday. Uh, and then I flew back, I think, on the Sunday. And then I took a pig to the abattoir on the Monday morning. So that was, <laughs> that, uh, that, that was my bonkers week. What a week, uh, ending with the pig. <laughs> a very strange week, very amazing week. I imagine it was uh, ah. quite uh, odd to be back at home suddenly after that excitement. Yeah, well, you know, music can be incredibly glamorous and exciting, but then often it, you can be in the back of a van. Um, you know, it's, yeah. But that was a, a special week for sure, that. Um, amazing. Fantastic. And I know you've done, you know, a lot of... Um, 
work on films you know the soundtracks and stuff in particular you've done stuff with Hans Zimmer that's interesting I mean obviously all yeah. of the work you've done is very interesting Mission Impossible Fallout Kung Fu Panda 3 but you did the Lion yeah. King 2019 soundtrack for Hans Zimmer so how different was that to your normal you know session drumming for recording sessions um if there was any collaboration what was it like working with him yeah, well, so uh, the the first thing I actually did was with Hans and a, a, a fantastic composer called Lorne Balfe, um, and that was uh, Terminator Genesis. Um, and when I was working on The Voice, there's a sort of incredible illusion that if you work on we we do read music on The Voice, um, but there's a sort of illusion kind of created that, oh, if you're working on The Voice, then you're a real professional uh, musician and you can read music. And I got contacted by this, this by Lorne Balfe's uh, management um, to do uh, Terminator. Uh, and luckily for me, um, it was me and another drummer called Ian Thomas, and who's the warmest, kindest, fantastic drummer lovely Welsh fella and he helped me through that session uh and it was a success um playing we, we re-recorded the the theme for um uh Terminator um and we did loads of cues really you know big toms it was basically just a tom-tom session uh, and we would double we, we played together and double up etc um and that was a success. And then the next thing, Lorne called me for uh, Kung Fu Panda 3. Uh, I, he needed some drums. So I went down to Air and Hans was there. Uh, and I, so I met Hans. But the, the the reading thing under pressure for me, I can do it, but I'm I'm definitely not the guy. There's, there's other people that are much, much, much better than that than me. Um, but I I can scrape away and get away with it. Um, and I guess the pressure I can deal with that that's fine. It's the, you know, that's physically being able to read the notes as they're going by. Luckily for me, I had help with um, Terminator. Kung Fu Panda wasn't particularly tricky. Uh, and that's when I met hands when I was doing the session. Um, and then with um, the Lion King, he had been working with Steve Lipson, who I'd, I'd worked with, with Trevor Horn. And Steve came up to my studio and we did the uh, the Elton track, which I think ended up being recorded as a single as well as the the track mm -hmm. in the movie. So the we played I played on the version that's in the movie, and then there's a single version of that Elton John tune. Uh, and then I did another couple of cues, I think, for um, the Lion King. Um, and then most recently, I've done. Um, Boss Baby 2 with Hans. I did that remotely from here. Um, and that was with Steve and also a, a, a composer called Steve Mazzaro, who is the guy that worked with Hans on the new Bond film that's, that's just come out. Mm -hmm. um, and I, But most recently, I, I did an album um, that hopefully Adele's going to end up on um, with Hans at uh, British Grove. Um, so I actually got time to hang out with him. Um, so to, but to answer your question, movies uh, are, uh, is very, very different to songs, um, to, to me. You know, um, playing a 
playing a sort of instrumental part that's arranged is is a is a definite skill that that lots of people have got i can do it and if you i'm best when someone says to me oh we need it to be like you know in the style of and and if people are willing to give me uh, a little bit more of a free reign um then that's when i shine if they just let me become and do my thing mm. if they want me to to read the dots then in a way you're better off getting somebody else <laughs> um, but i can i can scrape through if they really really want to use me then that's fine um i've done and i've done a few things um now since that since hands has sort of given me the sort of uh, thumbs up as it were hands and lawn uh, I've, I've done some animations with uh, some other producers um and composers I've, I've just done some stuff for a really exciting science fiction film that's hopefully coming out in december uh and that was really great i hope that happens uh that, that makes the light of day rather um but yeah so it answers your question it, it's very different to the song song approach for recording uh but again i sort of dived in both feet like i did with uh with rick because I want to experience what that's like. Even if I fall over and slam on my face in front of everybody, I want to know if I can do it. I want to push myself as a musician, you know, and I will always do that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> Fantastic. What great advice as well. And a great way to think of it and roll with the times, I suppose, and challenge yourself. I think that's fantastic. And I can tell you've got so many great stories as well along the way. Yeah, or you just stand still, yeah, and it's mm. like, what's the what's the point of that? I feel, you know, like so. Hence, with with my studio now, one of the most exciting things that that I enjoy is experimenting with sounds and and feels and like you know trying to keep up with some of the modern R and B uh, producers and drummers and hip hop guys and stuff. And you'd think, well, surely you should be relaxing now and listening to sort of you know um i don't know van morrison and just sitting on the in an armchair with a with a glass of wine and i do enjoy that too <laughs> but <laughs> i, I feel, but i feel that as a musician you've got to keep uh going forward um or what's well not just a musician actually as a as a, a creative person mm. i think you owe it to yourself to just keep going. Um, so producers doing the same thing. Don't just keep sitting on your laurels and producing the same old shit. <laughs> just try and push yourself, you know, engineers, artists included, you know. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And um, as you're in this fabulous space, I'd love to ask you a little bit about um, some of the kit you've got in there. So I know that you're a Neve user and you've recently installed two Neve 88 yeah. RLB mono preamps, wasn't it, in your project studio? Um, so obviously, Neve's right. um, 88 RS console is massive, very heavy, not quite would fit in there or into yeah. most studios. So, how do these preamps, you know, capture the sound of this iconic desk on your recordings now that you've got them in there? I mean, well, they're exactly the same. I mean, it's the same preamp, you know. Um, and I, uh, I basically was at, I've recorded at British Grove quite a few times. And only if uh, you know a couple of months ago i was there with hands doing this project um and they've got uh 
they've got the desk that you just described, the the, the boat sized <laughs> um, Neve de- console in there, mm. and uh, got the same preamps in it, and it, and I. Uh, you know, I, I talked to Neve and we got to the stage where, okay, let, let's try some of these out. So, um, yeah, I've got two and I love them, actually. Um, they're my overheads and, and I love the control I've got with them. Um, I've also got some uh, uh, 1073 lunchboxes as well, which is the sort of main part of my kit. Um, so I've got some, you know, anal- analog pre's. Um, I've kind of got a relationship with uh, Universal Audio. So I've got a couple of X8Ps as well. So they're preamps um, and an X8 um, in my rack and a distressor and a few different bits of outboard. Um, yeah, but the needs are the newest edition and I, and I absolutely love them. And um, in terms of being a drummer, of course, and recording stuff yourself, why why are these preamps and these level of preamps from Neve, um, for example, so important to you and your work and your recordings? Well, the sound, you know, the sound that you get from a from a preamp like that, uh, I lo- I've always loved that crunchy sort of depth that you can get when you put the microphone in it and you drive the preamp. Um, and it's obviously something I, I loved the sound before I knew what what was doing it. Um, and then as I've you know gone down my journey, it's been like I say, it's ten years next year actually that I've owned the studio and I've and I've been on a t- ten year kind of Pro Tools engineering, just teaching myself course. Really, I, I say teach myself. I'm very very fortunate to be able to bend the year of some fantastic producers uh, and engineers that I've worked with over the years to give me some help. Um, but when I realized, oh, it's the preamp at the very beginning of the journey of the sound, it's the preamp that makes that noise that I really love in drums. Uh, you know, if you, if you look at the curve on, on Pro Tools, it's a, there's no real attack. There's lots of just a lot, a beautiful, long, crunchy like uh sound wave uh and i realized that quite early on in my journey that oh that's what it is that the bit that i like when i hear drums you know that somebody else has recorded and and uh produced that bit the the, the way to get that sound is with uh with with preamps um when you, when you drive the preamp and uh and you know the neves do it so fantastically well um you know, it's, of course, it's not everybody's. Some people don't want that sound, uh, but it seems certainly with modern pop music uh, and hip hop and all of those sort of crunchy, sort of contemporary sounds, that is the the basis of of, of where it starts. Mm. Absolutely, and you're certainly not alone in thinking that. I talk to a lot of um, people working in studios that say exactly the same thing about the preamps. So, um, yeah, I'm curious I'm, I'm, as well. Oh, sorry, gone. Oh no, sorry. Um, I think that is why people have got this sort of uh, love for analog mm. and uh, old gear because it's you know like as soon as you bring tape into the into the uh, the equation, then that does it again. You know, it adds a lovely sort of harmonic um, color uh, in addition to what already what the preamp's doing. Um, and if you've got a great sounding drum, a pretty cool mic on it. A, a great preamp like a Neve, 
and then you add some tape or now of course uh, a tape plugin then you really can start getting to the stage where this is um you know you, you can create the same sounds that you've been hearing over the years and that's what that's the journey that i've been on and i and i'm loving that journey you know and get and getting that sound for people mm, yeah i can certainly tell you are and you're certainly not short of projects and people that you're working with and all sorts so you're in um so you're currently you're in the trevor horns um the producers aren't you at the moment yeah so that band that it, yeah that was um an interesting journey and we're, we're still on it uh but i uh, probably about oh God, i don't know if it's it's nearly nearly 20 years ago um a songwriter friend of mine said uh i'm in this band and we need a drummer but we're just playing a club are, are you up for it and i said yeah i said who's in the band and he said trevor horn lol cream and Stephen lipson i was like wow and he said we're called the producers i was like no shit <laughs> um and the, that was a guy called um chris braid and i went down to studio one at uh at psalm which sadly is no more so trevor's studio uh just off the of portobello road and um we just played through some songs we played they trevor steve and lol just at the time had aspirations to just play um and play some songs that were associated with them and songs that they liked. So we did some, uh, some of Trevor's stuff. We did some 10 CC things. We did a couple of things that Steve had produced, uh, slave to the rhythm. Of course, Trevor and Steve were, were involved in, we did that. Um, and we just had a play and then we played at the bar fly in Camden. Uh, and of course, Trevor, took the desk out and the speakers and spent about 18 grand <laughs> putting the gig on. We got our 200 pounds uh, fee, <laughs> um, but it was a really great experience and we loved it. And, and it was so much fun that they obviously wanted to do it again. And then it became pretty, pretty quickly. It became quite apparent that really we should, we should be doing what we do, which is record. Uh, writing songs and recording and that's that's uh, that's what happened with the the producers um um uh, project which took a long time for it to be finished but it it's out and now you can't actually get it uh trevor's decided to pull it digitally which is a bit of a shame but there might be a copy or two around there's a couple of songs available digitally one is a track called garden of flowers and another one called barking up the right tree which is something that i wrote mainly um and added to the band uh, i'll play a bit of guitar and i and i came up with that idea and lol came up with the the vocal chris added a chord i think um yeah um so those two are still available um but the the main body of work you can't get it which is a shame i'm gonna keep bugging trevor to release it uh chris braid moved to los angeles that kind of put a bit of a, a kind of uh not halt on the band, but it, it's it, it it changed the dynamic of the band. But now Chris is back; he's back in the country. So, and I know that he wants to do a gig. So there might be some more producer stuff coming up. Um, but yeah, that what I didn't again naively what I didn't realize or think really, which is silly now, and I want to say in it 
I didn't think if I impress these guys, I might get some work. I just, I went down and played. Yeah. I, I wanted to play. And it wasn't very long, actually, before it was Steve first. Steve said, oh, you know, what are you doing on Thursday? And I was like, oh, great. We've got a rehearsal. He said, no, 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 no. This is a, uh, this is a session. I was like, all oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> um, and I went down and it went well. I think it was for Roni Keating, actually. Um, and the session went well. And then, of course, l- days later, just a few days later, Trevor called me and asked me if I could do a session. And then that was that. I, I ended up working with them at Psalm continually. Oh, how about that? Another great story about um, sort of being at the right place at the right time, perhaps having the right attitude as well. Yeah, I think what I think back on it, I, I've not really spoken to Trevor about this, but I think with Trevor in particular, he had aspirations to play Slave to the Rhythm. Great, the Grace Jones song. Mm. I think he just wanted to play it live. And every time he had attempted it, without putting too fine a point on it, the the sticking point for that song is the drums. (laughs) It's a hard groove. Um, You can't just tap along. You Mm. you know, you've got to be a relatively... You've got to be quite a good drummer to be able to play that groove. And you've got... More importantly, you've got to understand shuffle and swing uh, in a certain way. Um, and unbeknownst to Trevor, I loved that record. <laughs> so when I was a kid, that that was out. I remember it distinctly. That, that record came out in 1986. So I was 16 when that album came out. And I played along to it. And I loved it, all of the tracks. Um, but particularly Slave to the Rhythm, and I loved the groove that he played. Um, the guy that they used on it is a guy called um, oh, Juju, William Juju House, his name is, um, and he played in a band called Trouble Funk, which I was also into at the time, and it was the go-go beat, essentially, uh, and I was really into that as a kid. So cut from 16 to I was probably, I don't know, 25 or 26, something when I met Trevor. Um, uh, actually, what am I talking about? A bit older than that, 30-ish. Uh, anyway, I was, in, I was in the studio and he said, let's try Slave to the Rhythm, probably thinking, well, this is the one. This is like, if he can play this, then we're laughing. If he can't, it'll be a bit of a shame. And we, won't be able to, we won't be able to do it live. Uh, and I just played the beat and Trevor, I can see his eyebrows now about six foot above his glasses. He was so surprised that, that it, that it was all, it was working. Um, and he was so excited. Um, he, yeah, he, he was really over the moon that we were, we had the potential of being able to play this song. Um, and I, and I, you know, looking back on it, that was probably my audition for for the all the work that I I've done with Trevor and I continue to do with him. I think that was probably the the moment that made him uh, kind of bonded us and made us made him realize, oh, this this guy, I like this drummer, you know. Mm. 
Fantastic. And um, so, it, it, you know, it, that that feel, I, and I talk to drummers about swing and about shuffle, and it's like it's all very well playing really fast, but you've got to be able to understand that, and you've got to understand that side of drumming, the swing and shuffle and skip as much as the straight stuff. Um, and if you can play them both well, then you're going to be a, a pretty rounded drummer and be useful to a lot of people, you know. Mm, absolutely. Brilliant advice there, um, as you've learned through your, well, amazing career and experiences. So I hope any aspiring drummers listening can take some good tips from that, Ash. I hope so. <laughs> and, I, um, I hope that, go on. you know, I hope they don't become too good and I lose, <laughs> lose work. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it, I, I, you know, I try and help drummers as much, much as I can, really. Uh, but I think that being able to understand the swing in playing the drums would be that is going to be the bit that will make you uh, desirable to producers and artists alike. It's the same swing that Ringo Starr's got. Mm. It's a, a little bit more sophisticated in arguably the way that, that, that Juju plays, but the reality of it is it's exactly the same mojo that's going on. Mm. And if you can understand it, then good luck. It's going to be cool. <laughs> Excellent. So what else have you got coming up for the rest of this year, Ash? I'm sure you've got loads of different projects going on this at the same year, time. Well, there's, uh, there's some records coming out this year that I'm hoping see the light of day. Um, there's one I did, there's, you know, it's interesting. There's albums coming out that, I did in lockdown um, that have taken a little while to come out, but there's one particular coming out soon. I hope that I'm really excited about. I can't really say much about it, but it's uh, uh, a fab fab record, mm-hmm. a reggae album. Um, and then I've, I worked with Julian Lennon um, and his album's coming out in the new year. So there's a bit of warm up for that. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to hearing that album. That'll be out. Uh, hopefully in the new year, he's dropping his first single, I think. Um, there's this movie that I played on, which I'm crossing fingers comes out. So there's a lot of things that um, that have got to come out. And as far as work, it's gone. It's relative. This time of year is kind of weird. People have done, done what they've done, really. Mm. Uh, and if you haven't recorded anything, then it's, it's a bit too late, you know. Um, so people start up again, usually in the spring. Um, but recently I've done some stuff with uh, Sam Smith and Jimmy Napes. Um, and that's been really cool working with Sam and, uh, and, and Jimmy. Jimmy's got a new little studio uh, in Camden Muse. And he's like, a, I've done some stuff with him remotely here um, with Sam. Uh, and, uh, but he, he's kind of young old school producer. So he's got like a, a lovely little setup and he likes to get all the musicians together and he's got a great little band, um, which I'm very fortunate to be part of. And uh, yeah, we, d- we did some stuff for Sam recently and I think that's hopefully going to be ongoing. So there's always, always something going down. But like I say, at the moment, I'm really loving this, um, this record with uh, Ariel Posen, uh, which I think will be out also early next year. Uh, there's talk of another album with um, Rick Wakeman as well. Mm-hmm. So that, that'll be fun. Okay. Certainly lots to look out for then. So um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to relay some of these 
fantastic stories. I have a feeling I could talk to you for a very long time about many of your different projects that you've worked on, but um, that might be in a little podcast series in itself, Ash. So um, <laughs> it's not fair to keep you that long, I don't think. <laughs> it's all right. Um, I, yeah, I've sort of collected stories over the years. Um, yeah, there's a few more. Okay. <laughs> perhaps for another time but in the meantime look forward to seeing you know what's coming up from sam smith and the other artists that you talked about and to hear your drumming on that so um yeah lots of exciting stuff coming up for you well thanks for having me alice you are so welcome you can welcome back anytime anytime ash excellent all right thank you so much and have a lovely day and you indeed take care yourself thank you Bye. bye headliner radio supporting the creative community 